0: Last week we started a series called the Holy Spirit highlights and it's about what God reveals to our hearts from his word. Cuz God speaks through his word. And as you spend time with it, it gets richer and richer. And today what I'd like to communicate, I'd like to talk about something that stirred my heart for a long time but I've seen it again in the Old Testament. It's this idea of sacrifice. It started way back even with Noah when he gets off the boat, he starts an altar So he has an altar, and if you imagine, it's like a big grill, and he just puts meat on it and fires it up, causes all this smoke. When God meets with Abraham, first thing Abraham does is he sets up an altar. And it's beautiful because even in the sacrifice, it speaks of fellowship, because not every sacrifice was completely consumed by the fire. It was often eaten with the person who's making the sacrifice. So even in these sacrifices... There's this idea of fellowship with God, that you're having a meal with him. There's time together. Abraham sets up other altars in the land, and then there's other altars throughout the Old Testament to the point where it gets a routine in the temple, actually in the the tent in the wilderness, and then in the temple. It was a regular part of life. And this sacrifice carries over through the New Testament. We see it in verses like Romans 12. It says, "'Offer up your bodies as living sacrifices.'" which is your holy and acceptable form of worship. and another place, it's uh, 1 Peter 2, 4 through 5. And it says, As you come to him, as you come to God, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ so this idea of sacrifices of priesthood of altars comes not only in the old testament but it carries through to our lives today and what i love about the old testament is it be, it paints a picture of what God is after. It, begins, it just doesn't give us Bible verses like we quote and we throw out. It paints a picture of something that's supposed to be in our lives and we can look at it in the Old Testament and in the New and say, see the depth of it and the wealth of it. So sacrifices. We give sacrifices all the time. If you have a friend, you often willingly make a sacrifice in your schedule to make time with them. If they're going through a difficult time, you'll make a sacrifice to be with them and to help them. Parents, you live in a world of sacrifices. Your children are often demanding, and they need things that you'd rather just sit on the couch and put your feet back up, right? But you can't when you have children because you have to take care of them, and you make sacrifices. Some of you save up fortunes to get your kids into the best schools. These are sacrifices. Grandparents... Some of you move town or village to be near your grandchildren. You leave the the thing you're very comfortable with and the town or the village and the neighbors that you love to be close to your grandchildren. You make sacrifices. It's part of our life. And so today I want to talk about sacrifices in regards to what it shows in the Bible, what I see in the history of missionaries, and even in what I've witnessed in my own lifetime. Because there's an aspect about sacrifices that is easily missed when you read through the Old Testament. But it's rich, and it has great meaning. And this is one of the things that the Lord has laid on my heart as I walk life and face some of the difficulties that come with sacrifices. Let me go through a few of these. If you look at the life of Joseph, Joseph was a brother who had 12 brothers, and they sold him to slavery. He eventually finds himself in the Pharaoh's house, not Pharaoh's house, but in um, his employee's house. And the employer, his wife, makes advances towards him, and he gives up a sacrifice of righteousness. He could have had a moment of pleasure and enjoyed it, but he said, no. He made a sacrifice for righteousness. Now you think... Okay, he did the right thing. Everything's going to be smooth for Joseph, right? No. Joseph ended up in prison for over two years because of something he didn't do wrong. He didn't do it, but he gave a sacrifice of righteousness. Another thing, you look at David. David, King David, the great king of Israel. Before he was king, one day Samuel comes to him and says, you're going to be the next king. He's just a shepherd, just a shepherd boy. What's this? He spends over 10 years of the struggle and the difficulties of being chased down by the present king who wants to kill him. It's not pleasant. And he, he goes into the wilderness, and one day his wives and his children and all the wives and children of his men are all taken captive by a marauding group, the Amalekites. Take them away. And he comes back to the place where they're living, and all the men want to kill him. He's supposed to be king. And so he makes a sacrifice, and the scripture says he encouraged himself in the Lord. But his walk was so difficult. He was doing the right thing. He was trying to be, um, get to the kingship without killing Saul, the, the, the present king, but it wasn't going well. Jeremiah. Now, Jeremiah is a character in the Old Testament. If you don't know about, he's not one everybody talks about. I love Jeremiah. Jeremiah speaks to me of honesty, of the pain of sacrifice in being honest with God. What happened to Jeremiah is this, in a nutshell. God says, hey, you're going to go warn my people, but you're going to have to be strong. You're going to have to be an iron pillar. You're going to have to be a bronze wall because they're going to come against you but I'm going to work through you and you're going to speak to my people. You're going to give my people the word. And then come along chapter 15 in the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah realizes that his preaching isn't going to save the nation. That the nation is still going to have to face judgment for their sins. And he has this moment of absolute confusion because he's been betrayed by his brothers. He's been treated badly. And he's made this sacrifice to follow after God and he realizes, what? What? In my mind, I pictured that the people were all going to repent. But now you're telling me that it's going to stay down the same road? I don't understand this. And there's one point where, I think it's chapter 15, he cries out to God. He says, God, are you a deceptive brook to me? Are you a stream that I came to in the right season, that water's supposed to flow in and it's dry? You're not here. You're not doing what I imagined in my mind. I paid a sacrifice to be here. And now it doesn't make sense. I've come to you looking for fresh water, looking for what's supposed to be here, and it's not here. Now moving to missionaries. There's a lady a few hundred years ago, or I guess a hundred years ago, lived right here in London in the early 1900s. Her name was Gladys Alwart. How many people have heard of Gladys Alwart? Oh, you Brits, you need to know your history. (laughs) You need to know these people. You have a rich history of men and women who love God and paid a great price. You don't know how rich your history is. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. Gladys Alwart was walking down the street one day in, I believe it's Edmonton, 23 miles from here. And youth come up to her, she's just a young girl, say, hey, come to our church service. Come, come. come, come, come. And, and she said, I had no interest in church. I didn't ever want to walk inside a church. But she said, that day, I decided I would. And she went to the youth event, and in that service, she gave her life to Christ. Young people, older people, in invitation matters. Even people who have a face like they never will go to church. Her life speaks that some people will because God draws them. But Gladys Albert went to church, turned her life to God, and she was radically changed. And in the process of walking out with God, she felt clearly that her mission in life was to go to China and be a missionary. There's no question in her mind. And she did everything she could to get there. She went to the mission, Missionary Society, and after training for a while they essentially said, "Uh, you're really not bright enough to be a missionary. You've got to be a little bit smarter to learn the Chinese language. And they turned her away and said, no, you can't be a missionary. Can you imagine giving up everything, knowing that God spoke to your heart and having a missionary society close the door in your face and say, no, you're just not smart enough for us. That's not easy. Another missionary And this one touched me. Recently, I was in a charity shop within last year, and I found a book on the Moravians. The Moravians are a group of people that from around Austria, Germany area, and and they lived in a village called Hernhut. And it was a whole village of people who were persecuted for their faith, and they came together. And the Holy Spirit of God came upon them and gave them this power, and they became unified, even though they were from all these different places. And one day, the the leader over this, his name was Count Zizendorf. Love that name, Count Zizendorf. He has a mission, not a missionary, but a a gentleman who came from the slave plantations in the Caribbean. Some of you want to call it the Caribbean, the Caribbean, but he went, this man came to Germany and Zizendorf heard him. And so he brings him to Hernhut and he speaks. And two young men, after this man spoke about the hardships of the sugar plantations and how the gospel wasn't being allowed to be taught to the slaves and how the, the hardships that they were going, that no they weren't allowed to hear the gospel. These two men went home that night and separate from one another had some sort of dream or vision that they would be missionaries to these people. And this was going to be the birth of missions from Moravian who went around and changed the world. This is this moment. And the next night is like a prayer meeting, and these two young men finally, hey, hey, can I talk to you later, one of them says to the other. And they say, yeah, yeah, I've been wanting to talk to you. And they get together after the prayer meeting, and the one says, you know, last night I had a dream. Oh, I did too, said the other one. He said, I'm going to be a missionary with you, and we're going to go, and we're going to go to the people in the Caribbean, and we're going to share the gospel there. We're going to be missionaries. And they go, yes, that was my dream. Can you imagine? Wow, what confirmation. This is God on the move. They write up a letter. They present themselves to the elder. I'm sure full of zeal and vigor. You know, God spoke and he gave us both these dreams and it's clear. And so the elders go and pray about it. And the elders say to one, you're going. And they turn to the other one and say, sorry, this isn't your time. No. What? Well, I had a dream. I, I, I know what this is supposed to be like. I, I have a picture in my mind. I know what it's like. Can you imagine that poor young man? Full of zeal. And the elders say, I'm sorry, son. Not this time. When we make sacrifices, there's often residue. There's things that happen that we don't understand. And if you will... It's sort of like in the Old Testament when they pulled up the altar and people made sacrifices. There was ashes and residue that would fall on the grill and underneath. Kind of like your grills at home. You, you fry up some burgers, you fry up some hot dogs, whatever, sausages. And the grill looks like this, right? When you're done with it. It doesn't look terribly appetizing to do again, does it? Not something I want to necessarily eat off. It's been corroded. It's been made dirty. But listen to this. This is in the Old Testament. And it's from the book of Leviticus. And it's talking to the priesthood in an aspect of the altar that that struck me. Leviticus 6, verses 8 through 13. The Lord said to Moses, Give Aaron and his sons this command. These are the regulations for the burnt offering. The burnt offering is to remain on the altar hearth throughout the night till morning and the fire must be kept burning on the altar. The priest shall then put on his linen clothes with linen undergarments next to his body and shall remove from the ashes, remove the ashes from the burnt offering that the fire has consumed on the altar and place them beside the altar. Then he is to take off his clothes and put on others and carry those ashes outside the camp to a place that is ceremonially clean. The fire on the altar must be kept burning. It must not go out. Every morning the priest is to add the firewood and arrange the burnt offering on the fire and burn the fat of the fellowship offerings on it. The fire must be kept burning on the altar continuously. It must not go out. So in this idea that the sacrifice is supposed to be a continual thing, God speaks to them and says, Priests, in your holy garments, you're to go to the altar and sweep away the ashes. Why is this so important that God would make a big deal about it? Sweep away the ashes, put them to the side, then go and get changed into other clothes And then take those ashes. Note that it doesn't say take it to the dump. Take it to a place that's ceremonially clean. Take it to a place that's special. This isn't just ordinary. What this speaks to me of is that every time we have a sacrifice and we put a picture in our mind, we give it to God. Our pictures don't always come to pass the way we envisioned it. It doesn't always line up. And there can be pain, there can be confusion, and there can even be disappointment, like residue on the altar, like ashes, like corrosion on the grill. And God says, as a priest, go, clean that out, put it to the side, and take it to a special place. He doesn't call the residue, he doesn't call our pain, he doesn't call our disappointment junk. He says, put it in a special place. He even honors the pain in our offering, the pain in our sacrifice. He honors that. In another place in the Old Testament, he says, the Lord stores our tears as in a bottle. Like the tears that we cry because life can be painful. Painful. The Lord knows and he stores them. There's some value in that. We don't know. We will come to places in our walk with God, we're giving our heart to him, where something will happen that doesn't line up with what we expected. God even values the pain. He understands it. He's with you in it. He's part of the offering. The altar isn't just something that happens that you do. It's a place of fellowship with you and God and he understands there's pain. He had pain when his son died on the cross. He knows it doesn't always look the way it's supposed to. He knows it can cause confusion. Think about the 12 disciples on the night Christ was killed. What confusion and pain and disillusionment was in their hearts. If we don't obey this, though, the ashes will build up. The disappointments and pain can become bitterness. And we can look at the grill on top of the altar and say, I'm not sure I want to offer next time. My heart is supposed to be a continual offering in giving things to God. I'm going to tell you one more story before I get into the, the answer of this all. I met a man named Andy Palm who was a missionary in the nation of Kazakhstan. It's one of the stories that can make me cry because I witnessed this man, I saw his life, I saw his children and his wife. They had given up considerable um, opportunities in the U.S., and with full hearts, they went to Kazakhstan as missionaries, and they met a man who was a, like a, a man of peace, if you will, a local, who helped them. He helped them secure a property so they could develop a school for children with special needs. He helped them acquire the computers. And and Andy spent lots of time getting money for these computers to come in so the screens could be big, big enough so children who were nearly blind could see and could read and could learn. And he had all these other things developed for children with special needs. And he had a house church going, and people were getting saved. And him and his family were enjoying missionary work to some degree, even though there were challenges amongst it. They'd been there for years, and they developed a relationship with the community. And then one night, people broke into the schoolhouse, smashed things up, took what they wanted, and his work was devastated in a night. Left to pick up pieces. Only to find out a few days later that the man they trusted to work with their visas, work with the local government, had taken the money they paid for their visas And what they believed was happening, you know, to keep them legally there, had never been done. And the man had kept the money. To make matters worse, it was the same man who had arranged for people to break into the schoolhouse and take what they wanted for their own wealth. I listened to Andy Palm, and I literally wept for him because I felt, God, this is painful stuff. This isn't ordinary. He made a good sacrifice taking his kids across the world to a completely different culture out of a love for people, out of a love to see them hear the name of Jesus, minister to to the needy, those with special needs particularly. If Andy hadn't swept away the ashes, his sacrifices could have ended. He could have been a broken man. And I'll tell you more about that story in a minute, because there's more to it. I stumbled across something that has refreshed this in my heart. In chapter two of Second Chronicles, no, I'm sorry, Second Chronicles chapter 25, there's a story of a king, and I can't get into all of it. And you have to read a little bit between the lines. But the line goes like this. Or the storyline goes like this. In verse 2, it says that Amaziah, the king, did right, but not with his whole heart. In verse 6, we find out that he's going to battle with 300,000 of his own men, and he didn't feel it was enough for the battle. So he hires mercenaries for 100 talents of silver. He gets 100,000 more men to go to battle with him. And then, in verse 7, a prophet comes up and says, Amaziah... Listen to the word of the Lord. You don't need those 100,000 men. Don't let them go to battle with you. The Lord is with you, and you shouldn't have hired them. And, and Amaziah says, whoa, 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 wait, wait. What about the 100 talents of silver? And the prophet responds, the Lord can give you far more wealth than that. He doesn't tell him everything's going to go well because he's made a mistake hiring these guys. But He says, The prophet simply says, the Lord can give you more wealth. If that's what's really on your heart, if that's really the concern here, the Lord can give you more than that. And what happens is Amaziah obeys. He makes a sacrifice of the 100 talents. He sends the 100,000 mercenaries back home and he goes to battle and wins a great victory. 20,000 men from the other army die or captured or died. And he wins this great victory against the Edomites. And you'd think he'd be like, woohoo! But then he learns that as the mercenaries went back home, they killed about 3,000 people of the, of the land of Judah. And so there's, well, wait a minute, wait. I obeyed the Lord, but what's this? And in that moment, he does something incredibly stupid. Incredibly stupid. He goes to the land of Edom, and in the battle, he sees their gods afterwards in the loot. And he starts worshiping the gods of the people he just conquered. And the prophet says, why would you do this? Like, why would you, the Lord has just proven to you that he's more powerful than these foreign gods. Why would you go and worship him? And it doesn't say in the scriptures that this is the reason. But in my heart, I read between the lines, and it's like, he's angry maybe that his sacrifice didn't go as well as he planned. He got a great victory. He got a great bunch of loot and spoil from the Edomites. He got very wealthy from it. But then 3,000 of his own people died when he was off at battle. And so then he turns to another god, and his life doesn't end well. Amaziah's story is not good. He goes downhill. And I'd say this, he didn't clear out the ashes. His grill is still corroded. It's covered in ashes, and he never cleaned it. So the question is this. How do we clean our ashes today? How do we get the the sparkle and the sheen of the stainless steel back on the altar so that when we approach it, we say, Yes, I'm going to give my heart to the Lord, my whole heart to the Lord again. He is worthy of praise. How do we get there? I'm not going to give you a whole lot of self-help things. I, I just There's good things you can do. But here's one thing from the scripture that I think will make the biggest difference for all of us. And I found this true in my own life. It comes from Lamentations, written none other by Jeremiah. Jeremiah 2.19. Do you have that up? Read this with me. Arise. Cry out in the night. As the watches of the night begin, pour out your heart like water in the presence of the Lord. There's this place we can get to in prayer that we can bring our disappointments. We can bring the sense of loss. We can bring the things that weigh us down and we can pour out the weight of our heart like water upon his throne. And as we do that, there's a washing and a cleansing that comes that makes us ready because we fellowship with God. We relate to him. We pour it out, and he values that pain. He doesn't treat it as light. You don't have to dismiss it. You just, in reality, say, this is my heart. This is what is happening. This is what has happened. All the stories I've told you, these people reach the point of their altars getting clean. Joseph, as I spoke about before, who got arrested for um, the lies that his employer told about him, his employer's wife, he continued on after two years. God spoke to him in dreams. He still had connection with heaven. God could speak to him about the dreams of the baker and the wine, the wine bearer. And he was delivered from that prison, went on to save his nation, saved some of the nations of the earth from the, from the plague that was coming. God used him. His next sacrifices were made. David, David turns to the Lord when his wife and children are far away. The picture in his mind of being king seems so far away. But instead, he makes a sacrifice and turns to the Lord. And the scripture says he encourages heart in the Lord. And he went after the Amalekites. The Lord speaks to him. And they got every single one back. None of them were killed. And shortly thereafter, he becomes king. In the right way. Jeremiah. Jeremiah, the prophet that paid such a high price. The rejection of his brothers, the rejection of his family, uh, the betrayal of people. Oh, just terrible things happened to Jeremiah. He's called the weeping prophet, if you don't know. But Jeremiah, his life is so rich and deep with what God did with it. He didn't have it easy but he realized that his sacrifice was not just for himself, but was that when the people did get punished, when they did go to captivity, every single word that Jeremiah spoke came to pass. So that when these people are in captivity, and Jeremiah says sweet words to them like, you have a future and a hope and a promise. Settle in the land. He speaks words of promise and comfort to the people who've gone through so much trauma. The people... Don't say, oh, that's just another prophet. Oh, that's just another wishful thinker. That's just another nice preacher. They say, oh, no. They're the words of Jeremiah. That's a word from God. I can bank on that because it came from Jeremiah. Jeremiah walked through hell to get where he was. And I can bank that Jeremiah's words are true. God speaks through that man. So that when it says, marry in the land, settle down, get comfortable I'm with you. I have plans for your future and hope that people could listen. His sacrifice blessed the nation that was left. Amazing things. And many other things. Jeremiah's life is rich. That our lives could be a blessing to the next generation. Our lives could be beyond our own selves. Gladys Alward made it to China. The young girl from Edmonton, 23 miles from here. No, you're not bright enough. She went to China, and her life was unlike any other missionary ever. One girl, one girl goes through Siberia, faces all kinds of difficulties with just barely enough money to make it. She gets there. She actually has such a presence of God about her that the government in that part of China puts her in a prison that's rioting. And her words and righteous life and the Spirit of God about her ends the riot. She leads hundreds of children over the mountains of China in the war with Japan to safety when there was no other way out. She ended some cultural practices that were detrimental to the children growing up of the wrapping of the feet because she spoke from a place of concern and love for people. Her life mattered and it affected the whole community. Children lived because of her. The first Moravian missionaries. I told you before about the two young men. The one who's kind of like, can I go on mission? God spoke to me too. You're getting, just, I mean, imagine the pain. Years later, years later, he obviously cleaned his altar. Because it was a time when the elders came and said, you know, now is the time. And you know what? He was on the mission field with the friend that he had the dream. The dream he had didn't happen instantly. He didn't understand what was going on, but it happened. He kept his altar clean. He swept away the disappointments. He swept away the things and was communicating with God enough that the elders even said, you're ready. Andy Palm, the missionary to Kazakhstan, went through pain real pain and disappointment. But you know what? He was praying. He went to the altar. He was crying before his God. And he was reading one verse from the Bible, a verse that would bring no comfort to anybody on an average day. But the Lord spoke to him through a verse that said, Jesus, like a lamb, was led to the slaughter. And the Spirit of God spoke to him that he was like that that he could relate to Jesus and being led to the slaughter, that his life was being poured out for others, that what he went through wasn't without value. It was sacred. It was holy. It was an offering before God. It was part of the offering. And in that, he he was restored to hope and faith. His altar was cleaned, and he's now a missionary in another country and having great success. God can raise us up I could tell you more, but it's important. This isn't just a, a nice sermon. We don't want to fall in the trap of Amaziah where our hope and our expectation from God gets diminished because the ashes build up, because corrosion builds up on the, on the greats. He can bring freshness and newness to our zeal. He can bring hope and he can bring vision for the future because he has a hope and a promise for your future. He still has it, even through the pain, even through the difficulties. And that is what I want to leave you with. Some of you today, I believe, have seen some of your own ashes, maybe even as I spoke. You said, yeah, that has, that event in my life has diminished my expectation. It's diminished my hope. God wants to help you sweep that away. And see that there's value in even what you went through. You might not know it now, but like the Moravian missionary, it came to pass eventually. Good can come even through the difficulties. We wanna give you our hearts. Help us cry out before you. God, I cry out for the people here who don't know how to rid themselves of the altar. They don't know how to cry out yet. God, give us grace today to cry. Give us grace, God, to come before you. Give us grace to put our hope in you for greater things, God. Rise us up. Clean the grill, God. Clean the grill, we pray. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this message from Bromley Town Church. You are always welcome to visit us on a Sunday morning. Or join us again for more messages here online. You can also stay connected with us at www.bromley'shumpchurch.com.